0: If you can't wait a whole month for our next episode, you can join our Patreon membership for early releases and exclusive content for only $5 a month at patreon.com slash transgender school. And you can
1: rent our 90-minute course, Transgender Allyship 101, where we reenact my coming out and teach you how to be a true ally to any trans person in your life at vimeo.com slash demand slash trans ally. Welcome to the Transgender School podcast, where we talk about diverse LGBTQ identities and experiences so that we can all be better allies and advocates.
0: I'm Bridget. My daughter Jackie came out as a transgender woman when she was 19. I was totally unprepared, but I've learned a lot since then. When I came to terms with my
1: identity, I realized that I needed to transition, but coming out was very stressful. Now I wanna help other trans people navigate their own experiences.
0: Welcome back to the 31st episode of the Transgender School Podcast. I'm gonna just turn it right over to Jackie to lead us into our topic.
1: We don't have a guest today, But we are going to talk about a lot of topical issues. We're going to give an update on the fight for trans rights across the country. And I'm also going to share a little bit of my experience in the job that I left last month and my thoughts on queer rights in San Francisco and San Francisco as a queer haven or not. First, heads up to anyone who doesn't like to watch The Big Orange Man, but I am going to play a clip of. Donald Trump saying something that I think is important for us to pay attention to, because he has this tendency to say the quiet part out loud that other more filtered Republicans would not say. We're going to watch this video along with you. So I'm going to share my screen and play this video, and we will play the audio for everyone listening and the video for anyone watching at home.
0: It's amazing how strongly people feel about that. You see, I'm talking about cutting taxes. People go like that. Talking about, talk about transgender. Everyone goes crazy. Who would have thought five
1: years ago you didn't know what the hell it was? I thought that was interesting. I've talked before on this podcast about how I don't believe that Republicans, or at least a lot of Republican elites, people like Trump really care about trans people. They're just using us as a wedge issue to try to distract their political base from their real agenda, which is making wealthy people wealthier. I have said before on this podcast as well, that I think we're kind of sorting ourselves into two distinct nations. And unfortunately that process has only accelerated in recent months. As this all unfolds, this has consequences for our civil rights in a lot of states across the country. 20 states, As of the recording of this podcast have outright banned gender affirming care for anyone under 18, and only two of those laws have been suspended via court injunctions. At least seven other states are considering similar laws and Florida, along with a handful of other states, are even trying to limit access to gender affirming care for adults.
0: So at this point, I'll jump in because we have had, well, we've had a number of people reach out to us about the crisis. It's actually some news articles are calling it an internal refugee crisis. I read one article that said, according to a poll, that 8% of transgender people have already moved out of their community or state as a result of anti-LGBTQ plus education and 43% additional 43% of transgender people are considering moving, that it may be as many as a million or more transgender people who feel, who are under attack and feel compelled to seriously consider moving. And if you can just imagine what that's like, you have to leave your home because you don't have the right to get the necessary medical care that you that you absolutely need and have a right to. So we have had several people reach out to us on this, of course. And one in particular I wanted to share because I think a lot of people are not understanding that that these folks who are who are trying to pass anti lgbtq legislation anti trans legislation the a lot of the language we hear is about youth and about young people but the the legislation that's starting to make its way through actually includes adults as well and adults are losing their right to get the medication that they need. And so we got a message from someone who is in Florida who will remain anonymous for safety precautions, of course, who informed us that they got a message from their doctor saying they could no longer provide hormone replacement therapy, which is an ins- essential uh form of treatment for trans for many many transgender people. And so I'll just tell you what the message was from this person who's in our community on May 25th. I received this communication from my healthcare group in response to requesting a renewal of my HRT prescription. In the immediate moments of this message, of rece- after receiving this message, I was devastated, distraught, panicked, confused, overwhelmed. So people were just blindsided with this. They were not aware that the legislation that was being passed would impact them as adults. I will not be silent. I'm seeking legal counsel through Lambda Legal, the ACLU, and so on. So this was the message from the person's doctor's office directly. Good afternoon. On 5-18-2023, a new Florida law was passed that was put into effect immediately. At this time and until the medical boards provide the required guidance, our providers cannot provide any new prescriptions for any medications related to gender affirmation, nor can we inject these medications in our office for individuals of trans experience. We, by law, are prevented from issuing prescriptions that are transition related. We understand how damaging this is, but as allies, we will continue to stand by you and work tirelessly with our legal team to find a solution as soon as possible. And on the heels of this, of course, we saw many articles and heard from many other people that this was happening to to people, to trans people in Florida, this was widespread. And basically, without getting too much into the details, what they did is they slipped this languaging in that anybody who wants gender-affirming hormone replacement therapy has to get all of these signatures, all of these re- approvals, has to have multiple people in the room explaining the co- the situation, explaining the medication, signing off on things, and made it virtually impossible for anyone to meet all the criteria that are required and necessary to be able to be given a prescription for hormone replacement therapy which just immediately if you if you are if you are transgender if you love transgender people you know the importance of hrt it cannot just be cut off from someone In an instant, and until the legal system resolves this issue. Now, of course, there have been all kinds of legal contests to this and people trying to overturn it and people trying to work through it. But immediately, many people were cut off from their necessary medication and were not aware, had no warning that this was about to happen. And I think a lot of people in the country don't realize still that this is happening. So we want you to know.
1: Thank you for sharing that story. It's really overwhelming. I can't begin to imagine what I would do if I lost access to my care overnight. I mean, yeah, that would be, that would be a nightmare. Unfortunately, this is affecting a lot of trans people, especially trans youth across the country. According to the Human Rights Campaign, 30.9% of transgender youth live in states that have passed bans on gender affirming care. And state legislatures, as of the filming of this episode, are currently considering over 490 new anti-LGBTQ bills right now. And of course, unfortunately, this violence is not limited to the policy arena. In the years since the Deadly Pulse nightclub shooting, we have lost at least 25 lives to anti-LGBTQ violence in the United States, including the five lives lost at Club Q in Colorado Springs last November. Just a couple of days into Pride Month. This violence surfaced at a protest outside an elementary school in the San Fernando Valley where I grew up, when a group of hateful anti-LGBTQ protesters showed up at a pride celebration going as far as to actually punch and pepper spray several counter-protesters, including a local faith leader. Of course, none of the people who did this have been identified or arrested despite a heavy police presence at the event. To be clear, this in my opinion, is how democracies die. If another authoritarian Republican manages to take office, whether it's Trump, DeSantis, or someone else, they will use incidents like this as an excuse to crack down. They will mobilize the millions of brainwashed, gun-toting people who want us dead in a campaign that will make January 6th look like a cute opening act. And then they will use the violence in the street as an excuse to impose martial law, trample over posse comitatus, and end democracy as we know it. Not because they're upset about trans people, but because they recognize it's the only way to keep the wealth and power they've consolidated in the face of popular opposition. One of the chief handmaidens to the billionaire authoritarians attempting to usher in a Christian theocracy is Matt Walsh, a right-wing talking head who has openly called for the execution of doctors who provide gender-affirming health care. And yes, I'm going to quote him here so that nobody can deny this is what the right wants. Quote, as far as I'm concerned, Mutilating and castrating children should be legally considered a capital crime and should earn the prescribed penalty for such crimes, Walsh said. But if we can't have that, then prison will have to suffice.
0: Which, by the way, doesn't happen. There is no these surgeries are not happening with children and medication is not even considered until adolescence or just Prior to adolescence, there may be blockers, which are completely reversible. And the messaging that these folks are using is based on lies, falsehoods, because in general, people know nothing about what's truly happening in the transgender community and necessary treatments. Children are not being mutilated. There are no surgeries happening on children. The only thing that's happening with children is affirming social transition which is absolutely necessary and advised by all (laughs) credible medical associations. So this is just heinous that these folks are distorting the truth and misrepresenting what's actually happening to stir up hate. Unfortunately,
1: this escalation is kind of working for them. We've gone from large corporations threatening to pull out of states for passing bathroom bills to giants like Target and Starbucks actively retreating from the conversation to mollify fascists like Walsh. It's no coincidence that Starbucks is also in the midst of one of the most brutal union busting campaigns of the 21st century. And while Howard Schultz has played the good liberal for a long time, he has now made his true allegiances clear. People like him stand to protect their profits under a Republican administration, and they will always prioritize their bottom line. So what's the action item? What do you need to do? You might not like the answer, but I don't care how old he is or what other critiques you may have. If you would prefer to continue living in a society that even slightly resembles a pluralistic democracy, you need to do everything you can to get Joe Biden reelected. So if you're short on cash, but you have some free time, sign up to volunteer for Any Democratic campaign in a swing state, if you can spare money but not time, donate to any and all Democratic candidates running in swing states. If you can spare both, donate and volunteer. And if you have a big fancy house, host a fundraiser for Democratic candidates. And no, California liberals and progressives, you're not exempt. You can absolutely donate to, host fundraisers for, or even phone bank for candidates in swing states without leaving the comfort of your own home. Our rights depend on it. So please don't sit this one out. And if you really can't figure out how to support a democratic candidate in a swing state, message us on Facebook, Instagram, or via info at transgenderschool.org, and we will connect you with democratic campaigns in swing states that you can support. So, switching gears a bit, I'd like to talk about an issue that is not entirely unrelated and very personal to me. It's, I think product in many ways of the wave of the anti-trans legislation that we're seeing across this country. And that is the wave of LGBTQ people fleeing red states and small towns to big blue cities like San Francisco in search of acceptance and support. Here in San Francisco, so many young people show up looking for the Queer Oz that Harvey created only to end up experiencing homelessness, addiction and severe mental illness on our streets. I have waited to address this on our podcast until I no longer worked for the Board of Supervisors, and my last day is June 30th, so this episode will air after that, and now is as good a time as any to open up about some of the work I did there and what I learned. A large part of my job involved fielding complaints from housed residents about their unhoused neighbors and escalating those complaints with the agencies responsible for conducting outreach to people living on our streets and experiencing addiction or untreated mental illness. The longer I did this work, the clearer the pattern became. Young queer people who fled God only knows what situations and less accepting places ended up here, assuming that our local LGBTQ community would support them. But thanks to years of nimbyism and performative progressive politics, housing in San Francisco is absurdly expensive, even for those who make low six figure salaries, let alone people with no connections to the city and no resources whatsoever. We also lack the shelter and transitional housing capacity to provide everyone who wants one an immediate exit from the street. The result is that these young queer people continue to suffer on our streets, descending further into their addictions that often begin as coping mechanisms for the harsh realities of homelessness and exacerbating pre-existing psychological conditions. And there are two main parties I'd like to call out here. First, I'd like to address the parents and families of these individuals, you Clearly loved the idea of who your kid was supposed to be more than your actual kid. You hurt them so badly, they never wanted to see you again. And honestly, you should be ashamed of yourself for condemning your child to such immense suffering because of nothing more than your own bigotry. You turn out to be right about heaven and hell. I know exactly where you're headed. Second, I'd like to call out San Francisco, the beacon of progress, unless someone is trying to build apartments near you. On September 18, 1978, Supervisors Diane Feinstein, Ron Pelosi, Harvey Milk, Dan White, Ella Hutch, Gordon Lau, John Molinari, and Carol Silver voted to massively downzone San Francisco. As a result, apartments were made illegal in all but a few places. The environmental impact report for the downzoning ordinance found that, quote, 180,000 estimated fewer housing units could be legally built in San Francisco if the ordinance passed. The subtext of this policy was simple. Don't come here. We're full. We don't need more people. This stunted San Francisco's growth. We have gained just 158,000 people since 1970, and we still have under 400,000 units of housing, almost 90% of which were built prior to 1979. While we've started to see some modest progress toward undoing those policies, my old boss, Raphael Mandelman just barely managed to get an ordinance passed legalizing four-unit buildings in areas previously limited to single-family homes, and the state is now even requiring us to build 82,000 new units of housing. By 2031, it will still take a lot to undo the damage of the past four decades of anti-housing policy in this city, and this matters because we can't hold ourselves up to be a safe space for queer people fleeing oppression if we're not willing to provide affordable housing and real opportunities for those people. And thanks to that same NIMBY sentiment combined with, in my opinion, a misguided opposition to shelter, we don't even have temporary spaces to offer most of the people living on our streets. Here in San Francisco, only 43% of people experiencing homelessness have some form of shelter compared to 96.2% in New York City and 95.2% in Boston. We are so much less humane than we like to think, and it undermines. Everything we claim to stand for. So this one is just for the San Franciscans in the audience, but supporting queer people fleeing oppression means supporting, making it easier and cheaper to build housing and prioritizing immediate exits from the street for everyone willing to accept them. That's the reality, whether you like it or not. And that's my soapbox for today.
0: Thank you, Jackie. And thank you for sharing your (laughs) experience with the work that you've been doing over the last few years it's really important for people to know the truth and the reality and thank you
1: yeah no it's i mean it's been a fascinating experience there's the san francisco that people have this idea of and i think that i that idea has been especially recently clashing with the reality of a lot of our policies and a lot of what's happening on our streets and that's, that's going to continue to play out here in a big way over the coming years and probably decades.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's true. I think when I talk to people about you and your life, and I mentioned that you live in San Francisco, people think, oh, that's great. San Francisco is the perfect place to be. And they think of a lot of people are just not aware of really the crisis that's happening there in housing, and the
1: and it's and again it's not unique to San Francisco. There are there are other mm-hmm. cities that have similar crises, especially up and down mm-hmm. the West Coast, in terms of not building enough housing, not having enough affordable housing. Of course, I have to point out that the lack of affordable housing is not just because we haven't built enough housing. It's also because we've defunded public housing. That goes back to Reagan and the defunding of HUD. We have also defunded that that was a bipartisan project defunding our psychiatric hospitals and defunding a lot of the mental health supports that we should have had and so i think there's a lot of there's a lot of blame to go around we've created a real mess and those of us who are in local state and federal government now are kind of tasked with trying to put the pieces back together and it's it's a really hard thing to do yeah
0: Absolutely. And it's it just seems like it's becoming impossible. Many of the people who say that that's what they want to do with their career is dealing with making sure that people have housing. They all disagree. And some who are trying to move forward certain strategies for doing that are blocking others and their strategies. So it just becomes this quagmire where nothing happens, nothing changes, and the problem just keeps getting worse. I know you shared lots of articles with us that explain that. And it just seems it just seems so impossible to me. But I don't know. Is there hope? I mean, what do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I think I I think there's hope on a lot of these issues. I mean, to go To go back to what we were talking about earlier in in the fight for trans rights at a national level, I would like to call out Zoe Zephyr as someone who I've seen as really impressive and who has been leading the fight for trans rights in Montana, taking a lot of shit from the Republicans in the state legislature where she serves, but just really not taking it and really standing up for trans people across the country. And I, I think that there's a lot more people like her out there there's a lot more people fighting back. There's a lot more people showing up to counter protest at these events when the Proud mm-hmm. Boys and the right wingers show up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So I think we're winning. I, I think this this whole backlash is a reaction to the fact that we're winning, that we're people that LGBTQ people, trans people have more rights now in the United States than we did ten or fifteen or twenty years ago. But I think there's always going to be resistance to that progress. And I think that's what we're seeing. And I think it's on us to keep pushing through that as, as challenging and difficult as it may be. And and again, that requires preserving our democratic institutions. It's going to be really hard to win this fight if we have another Republican president. And it really is. That's That's going to change the landscape in a big way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That cannot happen. And I'm I'm really believing, I'm trying to believe with all my being that we're not gonna let that happen, so we will see. But I did wanna touch on that the issue of the protests since as you know, they I was part of communities that participated here in the San Fernando Valley and I don't wanna give anything away. I'm part of multiple communities of parents and, and support for transgender youth and adults and LGBTQ community members. But I was getting a lot of behind-the-scenes information about those protests. And it's important to know that the violence is initiated by our opponents, not by us. Okay, And that was pepper spray that was being punched. I know many people who were at those local protests, and they also told me anonymously that it was really important to know that the people who were opposing LGBTQ education in the schools the actual parents at those schools—it was a small, very vocal minority of people. So it's some people might be thinking, "Oh my goodness, there are all these parents who don't want LGBTQ education at their schools," and it's it really gets blown out of proportion. That's not true. People were bused in from neighboring cities and towns. The Proud Boys at- did attend, and that's being challenged and debated. But it's it's not. There's no question the Proud Boys were there, and were violent. Uh, so it, our side is winning. I just I just say that to validate what Jackie's saying. Our side is winning. I don't care if they have more people that show up on that, their side. That's because they're they're coming to the, the small, vocal, angry, hateful minority. They're going to all of these protests. It was not just a huge group of local parents. It was those people who used this as an opportunity because the small group of parents were vocal and the word got out we then got news that that tons and tons of people were being bussed in to join them and support them, but they are the minority, please know.
1: Well, and and that's why they have to use these tactics because Mm -hmm. they are in the minority and because they are losing this larger fight. And so I think that it's very revealing and it's very concerning because there are politicians, again, people like Trump and DeSantis who are really willing to enable them and to egg them on and to, incite them to violence in the case of January 6th. And so it it remains to be seen how that will all play out. But I, I have a lot of concerns about what that means for for our lives, for our institutions, for our, our civil rights. It's going to be a pivotal moment. And, it, and we're in the middle of a pivotal moment right now, I think,
0: on a lot of these things. Absolutely. And now is not the time to think, well, we're safe in my state. My state is fine because it's It's going state by state and it can happen to any of us. And we should care about everyone in our country, in our world and rights being taken away. So don't wait until it comes to you to speak up, to take action. Yeah. Anything more? Thank you, Jackie, for sharing your perspective on all this and doing most of the prep for today and all the research. Anything more that you'd like to say before we wrap up?
1: I mean, again, I I would encourage people to get involved. I think we saw what four years of Trump looked like, and it was really damaging to human life, to our institutions. I, I just don't know if we can handle another four years of that without becoming a very different country. And so I think a lot of us will look back or would look back if if another Republican gets elected and say, "Wow, I wish I would have done more." So don't don't put yourself in that position. There's a lot of time between now and November 2024. So again, if you have any free time, any free money, anything like that, it's it's the time to make your plan and try to figure out how you're going to do everything you can to preserve our institutions and our rights in that election
0: absolutely could not agree more now is the time we've got to act we and we've got to get involved we cannot just sit back and there are many ways to do so and as you recall from earlier in this podcast Jackie is offering if you email us and you say i want to do something and i'm not sure She's the most knowledgeable person I know. And she has a background of doing lots and lots of community organizing and door knocking and reaching out in campaigns. So let us know if you need more specifics about how you can do that. All right. Well, thank you, Jackie. This was very informative. I learned a lot. I really hope a lot of people listen. I really hope that those of you out there, this one's a shorter one. I think it's only going to be a half an hour. So share it. Really encourage people to listen and be aware of what's going on. And if you are a trans person, if you love a trans person, if you consider yourself an ally of any sort, please spread the word. Please pass this on. I think a lot of people are just hearing little bits and pieces and sound bites of the rhetoric and are really not aware of the severity of these issues and the seriousness of the rights that are being taken away from people and how really life-threatening some of what is happening can be.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next month.
0: Yep. Bye, see you next time.
1: Thank you so much for listening to our Transgender School podcast. We hope you learned something new and that you're inspired to learn more.
0: If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And please be sure to check out our website, transgenderschool.org. You'll find many valuable resources there, including news about upcoming courses we'll be teaching.
1: Make sure to join us for future podcast episodes. We'll catch you on the first Tuesday of every month.